HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. Welcome to the How to Hunt Deer podcast, Deer Camp Edition. These bonus episodes will launch each week in October and November and feature myself and other Sportsman's Empire podcast hosts from around the country. Follow along as we update each other on recent sightings and deer activity, share strategies we're employing to help get us on deer, and just enjoy a relaxed deer camp atmosphere. Before we jump in, I do just want to say a quick thanks to our partners. First of all, this episode is brought to you by Tacticam the makers of the best point-of-view cameras for outdoorsmen. Tacticam's 6.0 and Solo Extreme cameras help you capture your memories from the field so you can relive them like you're back in the moment and so you can share them with family and friends. Their new 6.0 camera features 4K, 60 frame per second footage, up to 8x zoom, a touchscreen display, and one-touch operation. And the best news, you get all of this in a compact, durable, waterproof package. They also just released their Solo Extreme camera that provides all the features you love from other Tacticam cameras, like one-touch operation, HD footage, and a sleek, waterproof housing, but in a more budget-friendly option. You can learn more about the 6.0, the Solo Extreme, and Tacticam's full line of products at their website, Tacticam.com. Share your hunt with Tacticam. This episode is also brought to you by Huntworth. Huntworth is making comfortable, durable camo without the sticker shock. This year, I'll be wearing their tarnin pattern, hunting in the piney hills of the southeast and the farmland mosaic of the Midwest, and I have confidence that this pattern is going to perform flawlessly no matter the setting. You should also take a look at their packs. They are, in my mind, some of the best out there for the mobile hunter and are unbeatable at their price point. Go check them out at huntworthgear.com. And finally, Deer Lab is the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab helps you store, organize, and analyze your trail camera intel so that you can make data-driven decisions as you target your buck this fall. Go check out their website, DeerLab.com, to learn more about their awesome features and to sign up for your 30-day risk-free trial. When you're ready to purchase, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, to get 20% off of any of their plans. Now let's get into this week's show. Welcome to Deer Welcome Camp. back, everyone, to another episode of the How to Hunt Deer podcast, Deer Camp edition. And on the line with me today, I've got John Hudspeth from the Oklahoma Outdoors podcast and Andrew Muntz from the O2 podcast. How's it going, guys? I'm back, baby. Doing good. Doing good. Heck yeah. Well, so you both missed last time, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember what was going on, but I missed it last week. Man, well, shame on both of you. I decided they didn't need to hear me from me again. So, but well, we're back now because I got the ribbing. I couldn't fall asleep the one night and, and, uh, I, I got the heckling, uh, out of the way because I was sitting there laying in bed as hell at 11 o'clock, 1130. And I'm just sitting there laughing. My wife always asked me, she's like, why are you laughing in your sleep? And then I have to try to explain that this guy from Wisconsin and this guy from, you know, Pennsylvania, Michigan are making fun of me on this audio <laughs> thing. My earpods, so. Oh, that's man. I, I, I'm so often texting guys or like emailing guys or whatever. 
And my wife's like, who are you talking to? And it's always like, hey, somebody from Ohio or Pennsylvania or Michigan or, you know, all these other states. And she's like, do you have any friends here? No, no, I don't. Uh, They're all they're all across the country. So uh, anyways, well, guys, what's uh, what's been going on? Have either of you been able to get out in the woods since the last time we spoke? Go for it, John. Uh, I have not. So, uh, last weekend, uh, first time I was on, I told everybody, you know, I have a three month old at home. And so last weekend was a brownie point weekend. It was also my wife's birthday on Saturday. And so I did something I've never done. I went to a pumpkin patch first time, uh, oh, took the wife. Yeah. took the wife and the baby. Uh, my wife had, uh, some friends over Friday night. So I kept the baby Friday night. And then Saturday night we went to the or Saturday we went to the pumpkin patch, took it her dinner Saturday evening for her birthday. Um, so yeah, just really, really trying to get those brownie points because uh, not this week. This weekend I am going to go hunt for like a day, but then the following weekend I'm taking Friday off work, and uh, I love that last weekend of October. Um, before I always thought people who like really went hardcore that weekend were crazy. I was like, why not wait till November? Um, but this property that we got a couple years ago, for some reason, the bucks just tend to come out of the woodwork. Um, and it's also muzzleloader season for Oklahoma. And so, so yeah, last weekend, instead of being in the woods, I was getting the brownie points. Uh, this weekend, the weather's supposed to be terrible. So I'm going to go up there and just kind of make sure everything's good. Might hunt a little bit. Uh, but I'm really just kind of getting everything ready for that following weekend. I think it's like the 28th, 29th, and 30th of October. And uh, I'm going to be... I'm going to be going pretty hardcore that weekend. And that's, that's actually a really good use. I feel like, you know, with a, a family man with a three month old at home, like that's a good use of a, of a, of a weekend at this point. So I, mm-hmm. uh, two weeks ago took the family to a state park that was just beautiful. The leaves were changing colors and all that good stuff. We camped for, I think it was like Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and then drove back Monday afternoon. This week I'm taking the family to the beach for the weekend and we're actually going to camp at the beach because the weather is going to be really, really nice. So again, one of those brownie point weekends because in uh, on the 31st, maybe the, the evening of the 30th, I don't really know how that's going to work out. I'm pulling out of here and I'm heading north and I'm going to be hunting for two weeks in a row. Uh, so I, w- I will not be home. I will be totally out of pocket. So it will be uh yeah, good thing to do. Stack those brownie points this time of year. What about you, Andrew? Uh, so I'm in one of those phases where everything is extremely busy. Now I did go out last week a couple times. Um, last year, one of the things I learned was I needed some more properties and I needed some more space on these properties. So I went to one that I hadn't been down to. It's a little bit of a drive, but like, uh, trying to figure that one out. And I know there's deer there and all that kind of stuff. So I had a couple, uh, does, basically bust me they came uh, just in in trying to figure this out and i explained this on our our show this week but you got big cornfield it's half cut at this point and then basically a levee in the river bottom where for all intents and purposes if as far as i understand this it's basically bedding right so the further you get to the river i assume that they would be closer to that we have been relatively dry for ohio um the last few weeks so i'm thinking you know they're actually going to be bedding closer to the river I'll sneak into this, the, you know, the bedding closest to the corn, catch them as they're on their way out. Well, I judge that wrong because when I went over the levee into where I was going to sit, those does must have been 50, 60 yards 
I heard them blowing as I was climbing the tree, but it wasn't super, it, they weren't that close or, you know, it was one of those things like, are they, is that a deer blowing or is it not? Um, cause it was kind of faint, but a half hour later they were right behind me and in my wind and busted me. And that basically screwed the whole rest of the evening up. But, um, so we're learning it's, it's still learning process and especially on the new property there. Yeah. Yeah. So when you say acquiring new properties, like you need more places, are you picking up like new private spots that you're getting permission on or are you getting, uh, just new public places that you're venturing out on? So in Ohio, we don't have a ton of public. Most of it's in Southeast Ohio. For me, really you're an hour and a half plus drive. So I personally fight with this idea. Like I'm going to go to a place that's an hour and a half away that I don't know much about. I, you know, I, I don't spend the time in the summer to go scout it. Like I should, uh, I've got a few ideas of where to go. Um, but I don't have the plan B, C, you know, D if all hell breaks loose when I get down there. So I've tried to acquire private land where I can, I've got access to, without giving too much details away. Uh, there's a property I have the ability to hunt. I was able to choose three weeks of the year. Okay. One week could be in, in the rut. It's 150 acres. It's basically, you know, you have to have a permit to get into this property. It's pretty sweet. It's got all kinds of vegetation. Um, that's where I killed one of my does earlier this year because the three weeks that I chose was the first week, like November 5th, the 11th, and then some week in January. Um, but that's one that I, I can't get out there except for in those week periods. So it's pseudo public private, but, um, that was another one I picked up essentially too. And I got another one that's a, a all month of December. Again, kind of one of these public private things, but you have to have a permit to get in there. So it's, it's private basically. Right. And that just depends who owns it. So. Yeah. Yeah. John, do you, you hunt, um, I'm trying to think. So you've been hunting, venturing out onto a little bit of public, but you hunt a yep. lot of private ground as well, right? Yeah, mostly private. Uh, I did, last time I was on, I was talking about how I, you know, hunt like 95% private. I actually ended up on public that weekend uh, and found some pretty awesome sign. Uh, I found two sheds. Um, yeah, I found some uh, spots that I'm really, really excited about. Uh, but yes, mostly private. Okay. Uh-oh. All right. Now the deer killer is here. This is this, <laughs> We're is, down, boys. this is one of the guys I was hoping would show up today. Uh, Mitch from the Pennsylvania Woodsman podcast. Remind me, is Pennsylvania a one buck state or a two buck state? It is a one buck state, so I'm crossed off trying to figure out what I'm going to do next. Mm. He still has that smile on his face. I don't think it's left in what three or four days now. Look at that. Why would it, man? When you accomplish a goal, I'm just on cloud nine. Yeah, Absolutely. man. Walk me through real quick just your week, man. Like you had a heck of a week. Yeah, it kind of flipped in a hurry. So um, yeah, Saturday. So uh, two days after we spoke last uh, Saturday, um, was able to to kill a doe. I ended up seeing like eight deer that night. Um, two buck, no shooters. But I had a doe come in. I was at a stand. I had no problem whacking one of them and, you know, put a good shot on her and she was done. The, uh, this week it just happened. You know, we were talking last week, kind of juggling, uh, juggling family stuff, Josh. You know, was, we were teasing each other back and forth about, uh, you know, whether to burn brownie points or not, which I wanted to ask, how, how did that work for you then? I went to the trunk or treat at my kid's school. 
I did not. I did not hunt, man. I'm talking to everybody. I'm getting text messages from people that are like, hey, man, podcast is going to be late this week because, you know, everybody bailed. We're all hunting the cold front. And I'm like, cool, man. I'm going to sit at home and then I'm going to take my kids to a trunk or treat at their school while this massive cold front blows through. It was 80 on Sunday. And I think it was Tuesday afternoon that I think the high was like 51 or something here which is a you know mm. huge, huge swing over two days. A uh, little bit of precipitation blew through, so like exactly what you want to be hunting. But I did not uh, – I didn't push it, man. Josh, in all reality, you probably made the right decision. Even as, as much as that kills you, is probably the right decision. But anyway, I uh, – so I went into um, Tuesday night. <clears throat> I, had, uh, I had it worked with the family schedule that I could, I could go out after work. And the wind direction was perfect for where I wanted to go. There was actually a couple different locations I could go. Um, one in particular um, I hadn't been to yet, and I thought it would be a good chance to see, like, one of, like, two or three different deer. And uh, went in, like I said, got in clean. I was sitting in a blind over a food plot and uh, had, a, had a three-year-old come in about 530 uh, and uh, he fed in front of me for a long time. It was really nice to see him. He's either a big two-year-old or a three-year-old nice buck. And he started uh, doing the old look at the top of the field and uh, kept looking, kept looking. Then he'd eat. Then he kept looking. I'm like, here's another deer coming. And then, you know, shortly after, probably about quarter of six, uh, I looked and in steps this buck. And immediately I recognized him. And it ended up being the exact same deer that I saw opening night and elected to pass on the shot opportunity just because of the getting later and stuff. But anyway, he worked himself into 36 yards and he started getting a little bit nervous. And I just decided I wasn't going to wait any longer. That was close enough. And, uh, I, uh, opened the window, left him have it. And he ducked like crazy. I uh, had my pins right on his heart and, uh, ended up spining him. So he moved at least 10 inches, maybe 12 inches from the time my arrow got to him. So sort of screwed it up, sort of didn't. I got lucky. I spined him, and it was a mad dash to go out and, and uh, I put a quick arrow in him and just you know end the end the the pain and misery. But uh, it was ecstatic. I mean, the deer was everything I thought he would be. He's not a real big, high scoring rack deer, but it was uh, it's probably like that hundred to hundred and ten inch rack. But it was a two hundred twenty five pound live weight deer. I believe it was a a buck. I, I think he was a four year old. I'm just guessing. Doesn't matter how old he is now. He's dead, and he's gonna he's gonna taste delicious. I wish old Nick was here to tell me what to do with it next. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. Well, congratulations. I was wondering when I when I saw your post if that was the same deer that you had passed on earlier. So it turned out to be the same one. Were you hunting the same the same field? Uh, no, I was at a spot that was about 200 yards difference. But um, where the deer came from, it's still the general, same general bedding area. And the, the two differences that I, I noted, and, you know, you can kind of take this for what it's worth, but the night that I saw him the first time was a completely opposite wind direction. And the stand that I was in, that was where it was best suited for. Um, so was it a wind-based thing that he came out in that location? 
I don't know, maybe. Uh, in all reality, we had pictures of him in that general area. Could have just been the happenstance and luck that I was in the right place. The, the, the location that I killed the deer in on Tuesday night, though, we did have a lot more images of him in that specific spot. So when I was going to that spot Tuesday, that was a deer that, like, was in the forefront of my mind. Like, there's a good chance I'm going to see him tonight, and sure enough, I did. Was so. was that a deer that was daylighting a lot, or do you think, like, were there, you know, some weather factors and stuff that you feel like got him on his feet a little earlier? You know, he was daylighting a pretty good amount, and, you know, you were talking about the cold front that you were uh, you were trunk-or-treating at. Uh, <laughs> we had a cold front. Tuesday was a cold front. You know, we went, we had probably – uh, 15 degree swing in temperature from Monday into Tuesday. Um, I think the high, well, let me see. Monday morning was like 57 degrees and the, and then Tuesday morning was, yeah, mid 34 or something like that. And then it was just, it was the first day of the cold front. So that evening is when I killed him. So, um, you know, I, I kind of said last week too, I mean, I'm at the point now where the only thing I care about is the wind direction. And if yeah. I can get in and get out and not be detected, that's what's important. But, was the cold front in my, in my favor? Yeah, possibly. I mean, we were out that night. We saw a lot of deer. It was a great night and I happened to shoot a mature buck. So, um, you know, whatever, you know, intricate details you want to take from that, I guess it's possible. But I think I still say the biggest and most important thing for me was pressure was low. It was only the second time that spot was hunted. Pressure was kept low. They felt comfortable to be there in daylight. And uh, the wind direction was good for me to get in. And once I was in, in my blind, I had it closed. You know, John talked about that a bunch. And, you know, I can echo a lot with what John's saying that some of the places he hunts, like sitting on a blind when you've got the ability to kind of main, you know, contain yourself within that location, uh, that's, that's huge um, as far as dealing with swirling winds and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, maybe uh, maybe get teased a little bit. It's a luxury that some some people don't have, but I was I was blessed to for to work out that way. So yeah, yeah, man. You I, know, with guys that would that would tease and you know about the luxury of that, I feel like you know yeah, I'll do the same thing sometimes just to give people crap. But at the end of the day, if I had that spot and I had that property, I'd be right there in that same exact blind doing the same exact thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so as, as, as much as I put off the, you know, I'm super mobile and, and I saddle hunt and all this stuff and I do, and I love it at the same time, it's nice to just go sit in a blind. I, I do those things too. Um, I, but my, my thing is when in Rome, those are Romans, I guess, kind of deal. But uh, anyway, I'm blessed. So that's a, that's enough about me. How are you guys weeks been? Pretty good. I, yeah, I got, yeah I got Andrew had more, something. I one, go ahead. I got one more theory on Mrs. Deer. Okay. Now, I know there's like Drury Cast and Spartan Forge and, you know, moon calendars and all these cold fronts, different things. But here's my, uh, this is the thing, the theory I'm going to start rolling with is, uh, now this has happened to me two weeks in a row. You guys talked about the, the listener on our show talking to me about hunting the deer and all that stuff. He killed his deer at, or he shot his deer at like 6.30 on a Tuesday evening. I had been, I was leaving the gym when I was getting his text Tuesday at about six 30 when I was leaving the gym, head, we're heading to cup scouts, right? Uh, I get a text from Mitch. I'm like, wait a second. This was like to the week, a week to the minute, to the minute that, that, that day. So I'm starting to go to this theory that it's Tuesday afternoons is when you need to be, in. <laughs> man, I, I think you're right. I think we should, I think we should throw an app together 
and, uh, you know, tell, start telling people Tuesday afternoons are the time to go. I think there's All money the there. Don't worry. Don't waste the rest of your time. Right? Yeah, <laughs> there, there's money there. So let me let me sort of piggyback on that. I want to hear you guys' opinion on um, on those kind of predictive apps. Now, I don't know if any of you guys are like partnered with anybody that does that, like Spartan Forge or Deercast or anything like that. So you know, obviously, um, not asking you to bash a partner or anything like that. Just curious, your thoughts, like. Do you think those things are worth it? Do you count on them? Do you rely on them? Do you base your hunting on them? Or do you just kind of throw it away? Mitch, I think I know your answer. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much on that. And, you know, the, uh, the, the the fact of the matter is um, when we're recording this one, uh, I'm down at the office and I told my boss I was going to slip out for just a quick moment to have my moment in glory with you guys. But I'm probably going <laughs> to I'm probably going to slip off here. But, you know, um, I think at the end of the day, you got to do what's most comfortable to you and you got to, you got to use whatever odds are in your favor. Cause there's a lot of really, really good deer hunters across this country that have things that, uh, kind of collide with each other and what they find works for them. So, I mean, if you're somebody that is just absolutely ate up on a cold front, that that's what's going to be successful to you. And you found a niche in that where you hunt, then you should absolutely do that. For me, I feel like every time I've followed some kind of predictive model, I feel like maybe I've, I've learned something that, yeah, there was something to it, but there was always that butt factor. And I guess it's just the type of hunting that I've done. It's just been the, the pressure is low. If I can get in and get out, that's all I've, I've really cared about. And I'm, I'm continuing to try to learn that, but uh, I'll let you guys take over the conversation guys. Thanks for uh, letting me steal the show here for a little bit, but uh, have a good buddy. week and good luck. Yeah, man. Thanks for hopping on. Congrats. Thanks. John, what what about you? Let's hear your take on the, you know, predictive models and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, so I I have DeerCast. Um, I wouldn't say I pay quite as much attention to it as just I do, like, the Weather Channel app. Uh, that's kind of the main app I use for weather. And, uh, you know, you can click on it and get a win by hour, so I use that a lot. Um, I, I'm kind of torn on the predictive uh, stuff because, to a certain extent, a lot of it is somewhat just common, like common knowledge, you know, like if it's going to get cold, it's probably going to be good. Um, now I know it does take other things into account, uh, you know, pressure and moon and stuff like that. Um, uh, but something that really has, it, I really, uh, learned a lot about it last year and it, it kind of held true this last week. Um, you know, actually y'all were talking about Tuesday. Uh, I got a picture of a giant buck Tuesday evening at like six fifty eight or something like that there it is um but that's down here you know that's right as that front was kind of starting to move in it wasn't really here yet and i've become a much big believer much bigger believer that that time before and after that front is 10 times better than when that front is actually here um i got the picture of that buck i got a couple other pictures of bucks you know right after dark um and then when it actually got cold though my cameras went dead um, Tuesday, like the rest of Tuesday night, they were dead Wednesday morning, they were dead. And then kind of Thursday evening when that front was moving out, they picked back up. Um, and so I don't know if that directly ties in with the predictive apps and stuff, but you know, on DeerCast, I was looking at it. Of course it was good, good, good. All those mornings and evenings and everything. Um, but I, I think you have to just kind of take that stuff with a grain of salt. You know, you still have to use your mind. If you can't rely on those things 100% because, Yes, they are fairly accurate. Yes, you know, they read your location to kind of know where you're at. 
Um, but that whatever you know, wherever it's getting that weather data from, it's not like that is on your farm that you're hunting. Uh, and so you just kind of have to keep that stuff in mind. So I do think it is a good resource. Um, if you're a beginner hunter, it's probably a very good tool, um, you know, to give you a better idea of what's going on. But for, for an experienced hunter, I think a lot of people can kind of figure that stuff out on their own. Just want to take a quick minute to let you know that the How to Hunt Deer podcast is brought to you by Tacticam, makers of the best point of view cameras on the market for hunters and anglers. Their gear is made by outdoorsmen for outdoorsmen. Archery openers are just around the corner, and Tacticam just released several new products to help you share your hunt and take your scouting to the next level. Topping the list is their 6.0 point-of-view camera, providing 4K footage in a user-friendly, waterproof package. They've also just released the new Solo Extreme, giving you HD footage, 3 to 8x zoom, and one-touch operation that you've come to expect from your Tacticam point-of-view camera. Tacticam's lineup of cameras is supported by the best mounts and adapters on the market. This fall, I'll be using their stabilizer mount as well as their bendy clamp mount to make sure my cameras don't miss any of the action. And last but not least, they just launched the Reveal X Pro. With no visible flash, built-in LCD screen, and built-in GPS tracking, the Reveal X Pro will help you take your scouting to the next level. You can learn more about these and Tacticam's entire line of products at tacticam.com or revealcellcam.com. This episode is also brought to you by Deer Lab, the number one trail camera app for hunters and land managers. Deer Lab gives you a simple way to store, organize, and analyze all of your trail camera data. Deer Lab has tons of great features like the ability to filter photos based on what's in them, like deer or turkeys or people. It syncs your photos with local weather to help you pattern your target. And you can even mass edit your timestamps, which is a great feature if you're like me and you forget to correct the time on your camera. Head over to DeerLab.com to check them out. You can get a free 30-day trial. And then when you're ready to buy, use the code HUNTDEER, all caps, for 20% off of any plan. Now let's get back to the show. One thing I want to touch on real quick before we get to Andrew's opinion of the of the predictive models and stuff, the what I have seen, you know, I grew up hunting in the Deep South, like I've said before. Um, I think that areas that are really, that get real hot during deer season and, and stay pretty warm, like Oklahoma is one of those, right? Like you'll have really hot temperatures. And I mean, even during November, it can get really, really warm. Um, what I have noticed is those evenings after a cold front can be really good when it's cold, but those first mornings of a cold front, it seems like, you know, when the temperatures just really, really drop, it seems like those Southern deer or those deer that are more acclimated to a warmer climate really mm-hmm. kind of hole up for that first part of the morning. And those are the days mm-hmm. that I've seen movement later into the morning. You know, once the frost kind of starts to burn off or it kind of gets a little bit later, then all of a sudden I start seeing deer. But it's like those big plunges in temperature uh, aren't necessarily good for deer that are maybe used to warmer weather. Yeah, and I think a lot of it is, you know, especially this time of year, typically it's not going to stay cold for several days. You know, like just like that, we're going to have a front, it's going to be cold for a day. And those deer know that they can just stay tight for a couple hours, you know, not waste energy, uh, find a good place to cover out of the wind, and they can stay warm for a little bit, and then it's going to warm back up and then go back about their business. Yeah, yeah. All right, Andrew, what's your what's your thoughts on, you know, predictive models and stuff? Uh, so Tuesdays, 6.30 Eastern Standard Time. Got it. Got <laughs> um, it. Outside of that, okay, seriously, I think I've used just about every one of them because I'm a sucker for that. And I'm just generally curious. I think they all have some merit to them. Um, if there's anything in all of that, that I really kind of buy into, it's actually, it's barometric pressure. So that 30 line being kind of, once they're above that, 
whatever that means. I don't even really know what it means, but that's when I, I tend to see more activity in, in general. Um, I think all of those things really are like a tool though. It shouldn't be the only thing that you rely on. Um, you know, you wouldn't build a house with just a hammer. You need a saw, you need paintbrushes, you need all the other stuff. So using that to help you decide, you know, the other thing is I think people that get so sucked into that, like, Oh, it's not a good day to go out in the woods. Well, that's, that's bull crap. Like anytime you get a chance to go out in the woods is a good day to get out in the woods. Right. So don't, don't rely on that and, and push off things and, and all that. If you've got the opportunity, um, because it is about hunting and killing the deer, but there's other parts of, you know, just being out in the woods and quiet and everything else. But like, uh, I've heard other people talk about coyotes and stuff. You know, they kick up a deer and screw everything up right now. We've got lots of crops coming off the fields. What are the combines doing? So you could have the best analysis ever, but if you've got a combine running through there, kicking them the other direction, I mean, that's just, that's not in the app. Right. Uh, so I think that that's something, and you know, I, I sit there a lot of times and I listen to uh, one of my stances is really close to like an Osage orange, those huge monkey brain looking oh, yeah. uh, seeds, whatever, you know, I don't know, maybe the deer are used to it, but when those things hit the ground, sometimes it startles me. So is it something as stupid as, as those things fall in could push them a different direction? If it, you know, if they thought a predator was in there or something, I don't know. Long story short, I don't really buy into them. Yeah, yeah. One one thing that I um, buy into, I guess you could say, and it's been backed up just by my personal experiences, and these may be different, you know, for everybody, depending on where you like to hunt, hunting style, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I heard Mark Drury say a long, long time ago that he loves to hunt those mornings when the moon is still up and it's kind of setting at like, you know, 7.30, 8 o'clock in the morning, 8.30 in the morning, and then those afternoons where the moon is up just before deer should be feeding. So let's say it's going to get dark at 5.30. That moon's up and can be seen at 4.45. I have a lot of confidence on on those specific days. You guys buy into any of that? I mean, other than that, I'm not a moon guy at all. I don't think it has any influence on uh, rutting activity or anything like that, but those things seem to be uh, seem to have played out in my experience. What are your thoughts? Uh, so <laughs> I have a theory on the moon guide. Uh, I'm sure several people are, you know, familiar with what that is. Uh, you know, there's people that swear by that thing. There's people that say it's garbage. Um, you know, uh, Grant Wood, very respected deer biologist. He has re- referenced studies that they have gone back and looked at deer movement and moon patterns, and they claim that there's zero correlation, you know, according to their data and everything. Um, but I also know enough people that swear by it that it's hard to discount it. And so I have a theory that it has zero scientific backing, uh, and this is not for everybody, but, you know, back in a uh, hundred years ago or whatever, you know, white-tailed deer were almost extinct and uh, they were capturing deer in some places and they were transporting them to other places to repopulate. And I, I just think that certain pockets of deer are uh, influenced by the moon more than others. And I, and again, this is just a wild observation of myself. Uh, and, you know, I think that wherever they took that pocket from, that maybe the deer were a little bit more apt to move with the moon, wherever they took them to, maybe they're still a little bit more, you know, apt to move with the moon there. So, uh, I think it varies kind of depending on where you are. Um, I bought a moon, uh, moon guide one year, just kind of out of curiosity. And, uh, for me, 
sometimes it was dead on. Sometimes it was like, I remember August, the year that I don't remember what year I bought it. It was probably five or six years ago. And, uh, it was whatever the red moon was in August. I got pictures of like four or five different, very mature bucks in daylight, like right when it said it was going to. So I got all fired up. I was like, Oh man, this thing is great. And then hunting season came around. I was, you know, looking at the moon guide for October, November and stuff. And I really just saw no, no different, uh, that time of year. So, uh, all that to say it, it's maybe something to look at, but I definitely, you know, I'm not playing my vacation days or anything around just the moon. I think the moon could help, but I think weather, and I think Mark jury and a lot of those experts would tell you too, that weather is going to trump the moon every time. Yep. I heard him say recently that for him at this point, you know, there's a lot of factors he takes into consideration, but for him, wind speed is his number mm-hmm. one factor. Not even, not even direction at this point. It's all about wind speed, which was really, really interesting. I, I didn't hear, uh, hear that thought fleshed out anymore. I need to go back and listen a little bit more. But, um, yeah, really interesting. Andrew, thoughts on the moon? Tuesday uh, afternoons, 6 o'clock. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm kind of with John. I, I've, I've screwed around with it. I've seen exactly what you're talking about where there would be times like, oh, wow, there's, it's working. Um, and it's not – uh, I try, I always put things in human perspective, which I know is exactly what we shouldn't do. But like when you're walking to the stand and you got a big old full moon, you're like, Oh, it's so light out. I can see everything. Well, maybe the deer can see everything. And then, then they're out like, I, whatever the moon's a moon. It's there. It's probably have something to do with it. Yeah. Is it probably way above my pea brain? Yeah. Um, so teach his own, but I'll tell you on that wind comment, that was something I used to never hunt the wind because I was like, Oh no, nope, the wind's there. They, they don't move. They hunker down all this stuff. And I'm sure if you get over a certain, um, you know, speed, it, they do, but it's, it's just like hunting in the rain. Do they move in the rain? Well, if you've never sat in the rain, you won't know. Uh, if you don't sit in the wind, you won't know. Well, like this year, one of the best days I've had so far, I think we were pushing 20 mile an hour winds, whatever reason, like may, and maybe the moon was up too. I don't know, but, uh, I tend to agree with that wind comment. Yeah. And that, that's something, there was a guy who did a study on a plantation in Alabama, and I, I cannot remember the guy's name. He wrote a book that received some pretty good uh, feedback, but he he did a study on, you know, the bucks that were killed on this specific plantation, uh, kind of a hunting, you know, hunting outfitter, and most of the big bucks that they killed were on days of like 15 to 20 mile an hour winds or something like that. I'm probably misquoting that part. But it was windy days, like those days that you would think deer hunkered down, you know, they're not going to be out here in this wind. Well, those were the days that clients were killing bucks, which kind of blows my mind. But, hey, who knows, man? But I, I think it all comes back to what Andrew said earlier. If you've got time to get out in the woods, go do it. Like if you're not, you know, for me, for me, the big question is what conditions combine to create that opportunity where I'm going to say, Hey, I'm burning some brownie points tonight. You know what I mean? Where I'm just going to like check out of life's obligations for a little bit. Uh, those are the, those are the things. But for this year, you know, I've put all my eggs in the November or October 30th, 31st through November 14th basket. And, uh, we'll see if that pays off or if I have a bunch of tag soup at the end, but, um, question for you guys, like, uh, I had an opportunity, um, loosely, to go out this week and it was like the only time outside of the weekend I might've been able to get out. 
but I looked at forecast the night before. I think it was going to be about 36 degrees, uh, you know, 70% chance of rain, 15 mile an hour winds. I was going to have to go out and, you know, early in the dark and everything else. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, ah, don't know if this is worth it, right? Is it one of those mm. things, like, at what point do you draw the line and you're like, we're going to save this, you know, potential free window where you get other things done. And then, you know, because the weather just, let's be honest, that wouldn't be real comfortable to sit in, right? Yeah. Whether it was for two hours or four hours or whatever. Uh, I just didn't have it in me and call me weak minded, but I was, Maybe if it was the middle of uh, the rut, that would have been different, but I just felt like it was a little too early to push that. Yeah. No, that's really good. John, what are your thoughts? Uh, kind of what you ended with there. That was like, yeah, that's some pretty sucky conditions and a little, maybe a little too early in the year. You know, a lot of people wouldn't be hunting November mornings that time of year anyway. And then you throw on top of it, you know, maybe some heavy rain chances. Um, I think if you would have switched that to an evening, then it may have definitely been worth it. Um, but just the fact that it was a, a morning, um, yeah, I don't know. That would, that would have been tough. Yeah. It could be hard to roll out of bed in that, in that you hear the wind whipping and the rain hitting the side of your house, you know? Oh, there's nothing mm-hmm. exciting about that. <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's nothing exciting about that. So I actually had, um, my wife is super, super gracious. Like she encourages me to hunt a lot more than I actually do hunt. And, it's because of other factors. Like I just know that like, if I go do this, then I'm just going to be beat up for the rest of the day. I'm going to be behind. It's just going to be really tough. Right. So she actually told me, Hey, Tuesday morning, I think it was Tuesday morning. It was going to be 34, 35 here, pretty chilly for, for here in Georgia. Right. So she was like, Hey, go hunt the morning. You've got to be back by, I think it was like 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, something like that. My hunting spot is about 30 minutes away. And the one spot that I've been excited about that I found a lot of sign that I, I know there's a buck in there because I found his sign and I'm pretty sure I'm within 80 to hundred yards of where he likes to bed in this, in this clear cut. So, um, she said, Hey, why don't you go out and hunt? And I started putting the pieces together and it was like, okay, there are, there is a 2.2 mile walk to get all the way back into this place. And then I've got a J hook around through the timber, uh, which will add a little bit to that 2.2 miles. And I started doing the math and I'm like, you know, it's going to be a quick hunt. I'd have to leave my house at like three in the morning, get out there, take a long time to walk in. I would sit until, you know, what, nine o'clock, maybe at the latest. And then I got to turn around and head back out. I was like, no, nah, just, I'm just not going to do it. I, I just, I just don't have it in me. So it wasn't rainy or, or anything like that to keep me in bed, but it was just like, man, it's too quick of a hunt. And then the rest of the day, I'm just going to be like grind ground up by the circumstances of trying to get work done and, and all that kind of stuff. So I opted not to go during the cold front when I, when I could have. Next time, just trade that for a Tuesday evening. Okay, man. I tried, <laughs> I tried so, so hard. And, uh, yeah, she uh, she wasn't having that, but that but that's okay. That's all right. That's all right. So, uh, looking forward, you guys have got obviously big plans for hunting coming up. Is there anything? And this is something that I wanted to do a couple of weeks ago. We didn't quite get around to it in the time that we had. Are there any like conundrums or like things that you're working through on your hunting property or like a spot that you can't quite figure out that you want to open up and be like, hey guys, any thoughts or ideas like? I've got one spot in particular that I was going to throw out to you, kind of a scenario and say, okay, what would you do? Um, but do you guys have anything like that? 
the one that comes to mind, uh, Mother Nature has just been really kicking me in the pants this year. Uh, so I planted my food plots a little over a month ago now. And when I planted them, we had not had any rain for two weeks before that. Uh, I planted them just because that's the only opportunity I had. And we didn't get rain for a month afterwards. And down here, that's probably not quite as big a deal as it is in a lot of places. Cause we had zero moisture. And, like, I come from a farm and ranch background. Like, I no-tilled it. That seed's fine in the ground until it gets moisture. Uh, on Saturday, we got an inch and a half in a, or 1.3 inches of rain. And I was just, you know, praising the Lord. I was like, sweet. Uh, but then, you know, we had this cold front come through. And I think it got down to, like, 29, 30 degrees or something one night. And so now my worst fear is that, you know, we had that rain, that seed sprouted, and then that freeze came and just completely wiped it all out. Um, And so uh, one spot in particular, I call it the saddle. It's one of the best, like, natural deer movement places that I've ever seen. And uh, I've kind of made it better by adding a little food plot there. and that, but that food plot's really the only draw. Other than that, they just kind of cross through this saddle. Um, and so, you know, the hard part is I don't know, like, I don't know if the seed is burned up or not at this point. And so I'm trying to decide, is it better to just leave it alone and just count on that natural movement? Um, should I try to replant? Like, is it too late in the year to try to replant at this point? Um, is it worth trying to move a feeder in there? I don't want bucks to like shy away from this new feeder. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of battling internally with what to do with that. Cause typically this is one of, one of my best spots. Um, and I just, I don't know what to do with it at this point. Yeah. And you said there's pretty good natural movement in there. There is. Yeah. Why did Mitch have to leave? He's the food plot guy. Right. He would have, he would have <laughs> answers for you. <laughs> yeah. I would probably, if there's pretty good movement, I would just say, I bet that seed's going to make it. Those are just my thoughts though. And, um, you know, I have limited experience planting food plots. I mean, we did it a lot growing up, but it wasn't like I was the decision maker. I was the guy that walked around with the bag (laughs) of seed and, uh, you know, scattered it. But, uh, anyway, months, do you have a lot of uh, experience with food plots? No, but I grow on the flip side, turf grass. And all I, I say on that note is that plants are incredible. So you never know what actually might come up. And it always amazes me when people put grass seed down and it'll lay there for weeks and weeks without anything. That first rain, man, it's just like, here it comes. So um, I can't speak on the food plot side of things, but, you know, if it was completely burned up, I guess trying to, trying to use my lawn side of things, uh, you can always find something that, you know, when he's really fast germinating plants and just kind of throw it and hope for the best. but without making a huge disruption in there. I don't know. Yeah. John, do you see a lot? Do do you see, um, bucks act, um, I guess, skeptical of new feeders given that they're pretty common where you are? Um, a little bit, uh, typically let's say I get a random picture or see a buck somewhere and I'm thinking some bait might help. Usually in that situation, I'll just pour a pile of corn on the ground and not use a feeder. Um, it's <laughs> I heard somebody call a feeder like the magical corn dispersing tree or something. Like, how does that deer know that it's, you know, something? <laughs> uh, but it seems like they just do. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I, I, if, if at all possible, I like to have the feeder there kind of early. 
Um, and, and usually it doesn't take them long to get used to it. Um, but I think just the combination of a, a new object, uh, and then one that, you know, it makes noise when it goes off that can be kind of spooky for them. Uh, so yeah, a lot of times like in a situation like I was just talking about, um, a lot of times I think a bait, just a bait pile would do better than a feeder. Gotcha. So you, I, is that a, is that something for this spot you think, or is it too intrusive? Possibly. Uh, I, I definitely did think about that. Um, the other kind of downside is, uh, you know, hogs, hogs are an oh, issue here. Yeah. And, uh, so if I go pour, you know, 200 pounds of corn on the ground, the hogs are going to find it. And then you run the risk of the hogs running the deer off. Um, and so I, I definitely have thought about it, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I've, I've been, I've been rolling around this, rolling this around in my brain. So it's kind of funny that you asked about if we had any conundrums. Yeah. That's definitely been one of mine, but you know what I just, uh, what I just yeah. heard you say is that this summer, spring or whenever post deer season, you need to have the entire sportsman's empire crew down to eliminate <laughs> a bunch of hogs. Uh-huh. If we can catch up to them. Uh-huh. That's what I heard you say. Uh-huh. And yep. I'm in. All right. Come on. Come on. We'll have a, we'll have a weekend. Is Oklahoma as friendly as Texas is where it's just like shoot them out of helicopters yeah. for all week here? Yep. Okay. Yeah. No license required. Jeez. Uh, year round. <laughs> yeah. I'll put that helicopter on the emperor. You, <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, I believe if, if you're hunting hogs during deer season, I do think you're supposed to have a deer license, but if it's not hunting season, you're good. Man. All right. What about you, Andrew? Any, uh, any conundrums or spots or anything like that, that you're kind of scratching your head about that you want to throw out to the, the vast when wisdom? I every, when I wake up every morning, it's a conundrum. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> I just the, wake up confused uh, every day, yeah, every day. I woke up this morning to my little dude was like kicking me in the face and it was just like, boom, 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 boom. he was running in his dream or something. So that's, that's why, um, no, my conundrum is I have that property that I've got that week of November to, to go out to. When I was out there earlier in the year, I had a lot of deer movement under a really hot feed tree. And my question, more than anything, you have to remember Ohio, basically, you don't have to you can throw a stone and hit an egg field. But like food at that point, I don't know where to focus my energy. Like part of me says just go right back to where they were all at, right? Um, I also don't know because it is, uh, other people can get in there for the different weeks. So I'm going in block trail cams, which can be good and bad. I don't know what's been taken out there. I did see a nice shoot shooter buck uh, too far out of range. The one that night I was out there, is he still there? Uh, you know, all those kind of things go into it. I guess my, my gut instinct is at least for that first time I get back out there is uh, to go towards those feed trees just to see if it's in their natural movement. And then hopefully the other thing by then is the leaves should be down. I should have better visibility over the whole area. Um, there's a little, there is some terrain feature in this as far as like the, there's some hills and creeks and different things, which to me is pretty foreign. Most of the stuff I've hunted historically has been very flat. Um, so I guess that would be my first question. I know you guys can't see the property. I haven't been out there, but, is it one of those things you go back to what worked to start and then reevaluate from there or. Yeah. John, what, uh, what week of November is it? It's like the fifth to the 11th. Um, for That's me. Big, big for us. That's big time. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say for me, you're talking about the terrain. 
I would almost be more drawn to some kind of terrain funnel than food. Um, because that just sounds like perfect timing for just, you know, running bucks. Um, and I don't, you know, with the food aspect, yes, you know, you might get the does coming in and then the bucks chasing the does, but I think I would be much more tempted to find a good saddle or pinch point or something like that and just set up shop because that's the time of year where you have the best opportunity of some random buck coming to you instead of you having to go to them. Yeah, I think I would, I would kind of agree. Um, I, I think honestly, I would take, you know, maybe that first half a day. How big is this property again? 150 acres. Okay. I might would take that first day half a day, however long it takes, find those terrain features like John is saying and just burn through the whole place. Just run through it if you have to, to see where the hottest and freshest sign has, has been, especially getting close to, you know, thicker areas where you think it might be doe bedding. See if you can find some scrapes outside of those kinds of areas. Uh, because I feel like you can get away with a lot more this time, of, that time of year, as far as, you know, bucks are, Bucks are cruising. They're running circuits anyway. Like the buck that walks through here today may not have been here in three days anyway. Like who knows what all's going on. So I think you get in there and, you know, maybe, maybe start with those terrain features and say, okay, which, which are the best ones, which ones have the hottest, hottest sign around it. And I think it would be worth maybe spending that first morning, or maybe you hunt that morning in a spot that has, that was good to you before or, or good before. And then midday get out and do your scouting and, and try to, you know, scout with a bow in your hand, obviously, in case you stumble up on something. But, um, yeah, that's my thought. I got one other thing. Uh, this is something I learned from Bill Winky that I've actually killed a couple bucks because of, uh, you know, if you could take a couple cameras with you, you know, on a 120-acre property, if you have three or four cameras, you could cover that really well. And uh, Bill talks about how, you know, normally you want to kind of stay away from your cameras, let them soak, that type of thing. But during the rut, when deer kind of in that rut mind phase, uh, he'll check his cameras like every two days. And that's something that I started doing a couple of years ago. And I've actually killed two or three bucks because of that. You know, I, I, I again, check my cameras every other day or so. And if there's a buck on there, I hunt that spot. And, and I've had some success that way. So, um, you know, you can make that 120-acre property a whole lot smaller real quick with just a couple cameras. And, and don't be afraid to check them more often than you normally would. I yeah. like that. That's a good point. That's a good point. So I'm going to throw out my, my conundrum now. So I, I have mentioned on other podcasts and stuff, my trail camera strategy, I have yet to like really nail down. I am just not one of those guys that gets consistent pictures of big bucks all the time. Right. I just, I have a really hard time doing that on public land. Um, you know, private, that's another story, but public land have a tough time doing it. This year, I put all of my cell cameras out in what have traditionally been um, really well-used scrape areas. And I'm talking like big community scrapes. And I've got three years of history in this place, right? So three years in a row, these spots just are on fire. Uh, we are now here on October 20th. And the scrapes and the areas that I have set my cameras up on have produced pretty disappointing results. It's not that I haven't seen anything. Uh, if if nothing else, I know where the doe, where a really you know consistent doe family group is. So I'm going to get in there on them downwind of them. But what what would you guys do when when you get there? Like let's say I get all the way into October 30th and the sign just isn't 
isn't there yet. So three years ago, and let me say this. So three years ago, it was tore up with sign, just demo- like craziest thing I've ever seen. I was like, this must be what Iowa or heaven is like. Like, I don't, I don't know what else to call this. <laughs> the second year, it was kind of the same thing. The, then last year, uh, the sign was, was minimal, but the buck movement was still crazy between November like 4th and November 12th or 13th. Like just, it, there was one spot where I could have sat that spot any given day between November 4th and November 12th and, and shot a mature buck in daylight. Like they were just coming through there. Now it might've been seven in the morning one day and then, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon the next day and then 11 a.m. the next day, you know, kind of crazy and sporadic, but just a lot of deer activity. What would you guys do if I, if let's say I get there on the ground and those spots just aren't, aren't producing, you know, the typical rut sign that I'm used to, would you throw a sit or two at it or are you going to move on? I think it's hard to kill a buck that's not there. Um, you know, if you've, if you've had those cameras there for in the years past and they've been producing and suddenly they're not, you know, it's very, very possible that something could have changed, especially if you're talking about public land. Um, you know, there may be a new person that discovered that spot that's been going in there a lot. Um, maybe he saw your cameras and he's been skirting around them because he doesn't want you to know he's there. Um, one thing I would say is, you know, I, like as of last weekend, I have yet to see a single scrape. Uh, you know, I think this year's just been a little bit warmer than most, mm-hmm. so maybe it's just not quite that time yet. Um, and I think, if, I don't know how many cameras you got out there. It sounds like you have a couple. Um, you know, maybe you pick your best spot that's been, you know, the best traditionally, leave that camera there and take your other somewhere else. Um, and, you know, maybe you have, do have to find a new spot. Um I think that's what I would do. But, yeah, I, I wouldn't be too discouraged just yet um, because, like I said, I, I have yet to see any scrape uh, activity going on myself. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, you know, with that cold front we just had, I think things are supposed to cool off again this coming week. If you're not seeing anything, I, I'd move personally. Okay. So, <clears throat> Josh, what you want to do? You're going to go out about 3 o'clock on Tuesday afternoon. <laughs> all right? And, <laughs> No, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the other way. So now we're we're gonna really give you a conundrum, um, and I have no I have nothing to show for this. This is just my anecdotal theoretical pea brain conundrum mind. The does, man, if they're there, I, they're gonna come. They're gonna come find them. Now I've got this this thought that always goes through my mind. On one of the properties I hunt, I swear the rut's later, and I swear it's it's, it's later because the do, those does out in that area just don't come into estrus that first week in November I've sat out there the first week in November numerous times and I don't see anything. And I mean, it can be the best weather and everything else, but by, you know, the 21st, 22nd, I mean, I've, I've had a one buck show up there like two or three years in a row on the exact same night. Uh, I, I've heard other people talk about that. So to me, if you've got does in there and if you can, gauge their fawns maybe a little bit on their age. I think, you know, I had one come in front of me not too long ago. I mean, that thing was so spotted out like that, that, that fawn looked like it dropped, you know, a month ago. Um, so to me, she's going to, you know, the mom is going to go into, and this is, don't hate on me. Anybody who's a deer biologist, but like to me, in theory, that mom will then go back into estrus later again. So if, uh, you know, to kind of draw that, that, that bell curve out, but to me, if you've got does there, 
the guys are going to come find them. And it's just, it, it might be a matter of time. I also do believe in that vacuum theory that uh, once a big one is taken out, it, it does vacuum in, pulls in another one, take over that area. So maybe it just hasn't pulled them in yet. I don't know. Yeah. And so I think there's a couple of things working against me. Number one, uh, the whole surrounding property is corn this year and it hasn't been harvested yet. And so I think those deer are just, man, they, the, this property hunts so different when the corn is up. It just, I can see a night and day difference. Like if the corn's taken down tomorrow, I will see a ton more deer activity in the timber. Um, and I think the pressure has been really light out there this year. So when I went in a couple of weeks ago, I think I mentioned, uh, I bumped two bucks right on the edge of the marsh, like right on the very edge of the marsh. They shouldn't have been there two weeks into deer season. They should have been pushed back already. They should have already been back in the marsh a little bit further trying to avoid hunting pressure. I saw zero hunter sign back in there. So I don't think anybody's been in there yet. A buddy of mine was hunting this place uh, yesterday morning and right off the parking lot, he's hunting pheasants and right off the parking lot, uh, he jumps uh, a huge 10, like 10 or eight or 10 point, probably a 10. I mean, really, really big deer. And the deer just like stood up and just kind of like trotted off away from him. Zero concern, zero care, just trotted over to the timber. He took a video of it, sent it to me. He's like, dude, this is right by this parking lot, you know, kind of thing. So I think the corn being what it is, and I think honestly lower pressure this year. I don't, I don't know why there would be lower pressure necessarily. Maybe, maybe the hunters are sticking more to those to those ag fields because the corn is still up. Maybe they're, you know, trying to trying to dig into that. But I think what I'll do is get on the ground, kind of do what, you know, the advice I was giving to you, Andrew. And those first couple of days that I'm there, um, really just burn through a lot of my spots and see, you know, is there any sign, you know, popping up anywhere? Like, or th- is this a property wide kind of thing that there's just not a lot, not a ton of sign this year. And then after that, go back in on those historical dates. Cause I do think you're right. You know, that spot has been good every year in this window of time when it seems like these does that are in there go into estrus kind of in a repeatable time every single year. So maybe throw a couple sits at it, take those first couple of days, scout and hunt new places, then really dive in when I feel like those does are going to be drawn in the big boys. On Tuesday. On Tuesday. <laughs> Tuesday afternoon. Yep. Dude, if I kill a deer on Tuesday afternoon at 6.30 or 6.15 or whatever it is, uh, well, actually, I don't know what time it's getting dark there right now, so that might be illegal. Uh <laughs> Yeah, I have to figure that out. But if I kill a deer on Tuesday afternoon, Mr. Months, it is all it is all thanks to you. So I'm gonna get there on Monday. So if I tag out on Tuesday, man, first of all, I'll be really happy. Second of all, I'm gonna have to buy an Ohio or an Illinois tag or something like that as I swing back through. So come on down. Yeah, heck yeah. Yep. Well, guys, thanks for your time today. I, I really appreciate you making the time. I, I I pulled a switcheroo on you guys and and put this in the middle of a work day instead of uh, <laughs> recording tonight. I'm taking my family out to the beach, earning a few more brownie points before I take off next week. So anyway, thanks for your time. Thanks for uh, coming back to deer camp and hopefully we'll see you again next week. Take care guys. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. Thanks to all of our partners, Tacticam, Huntworth and Deer Lab. If you're looking for some more great whitetail content, Head over to thesportsmansempire.com where you'll find my other show, The Wisconsin Sportsman, and the shows of all the other guests from today's episode.